Well, thank you. That was a much, much, much improved introduction, Richard. Well done. Yeah, seven out of ten. Great. Um, he usually rags me and does things to embarrass me. Uh, we had a wonderful day yesterday. Uh, a number of us went up to Nottingham Trent Vineyard, and um, we had a great day of celebration and prayer. Uh, and, and the news is, the headline is, that our dearly beloved national directors, John and Ellie Mumford, who've uh, been around for 25 plus years, uh, stepped, I think stepped aside is, is the right word. They're going on to do some more international work. And they handed the, the reins over, as it were, to John and Debbie Wright, who are the senior pastors up at Trent. And, and we had the great joy of just being there and celebrating with them. And, and, and it, it was just a wonderful thing. And I just want to encourage you, because the scriptures say that we should, to pray for our leaders. So please do remember John and Debbie Wright, John and Debbie Wright, uh, in your prayers, and indeed, let's just pray for them now. Would you, I'm sorry, we bobbing, getting you bobbing up and down. Just would you, would you mind standing while I just lead us in a prayer for John and Debbie Wright? Father, your word says that we should pray for our leaders, and so, Lord, in obedience to that, but also because it's the joy of our heart to do so. We want to say thank you for John and Ellie Mumford as they step to one side and take on uh, international duties. We want to say thank you for this last 20, actually 28 years of their tenure. And we thank you for all that you've done. 28 years ago, there wasn't a vineyard to be found in the UK. And now, Lord God, there's well over 100. So thank you, Lord. And, and now, Lord, at this time and this place, we want to say, please, would you pour out your richest blessing upon Trent Vineyard, who are sharing their senior pastors with the rest of the movement, and in particular upon John and Debbie Wright themselves and their children, all whom they love and care about. Bless them and anoint them, and may the movement and the kingdom prosper under their leadership. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please sit. Okay, well, uh, today we are uh, refocusing. Uh, just to give you a little background, uh, let's have the title, The Land Between. I, I love this title. And I want to just sort of honor a chap called Jeff Mannion. He's an American pastor, wrote a book called The Land Between. Probably, I think it came out in 2007, 2008. Uh, and I was struck by it, and it was interesting. It was a very easy read, but, but I thought, there's a title there. There's something I want to preach on. And I just felt the last couple of weeks that this would be what we would call this, 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 this sermon, this two-week little series. We met with our leaders, about 50 or 60 of us, on Tuesday. And I said to our, our leaders in that point, I said, when we talk about phase two, and phase two is our, our, our new capital growth campaign, we, you know, we've bought the building next door, thank God. That was a struggle in itself. We've, we've got planning permission to do that which we need to do, and that was a struggle in itself. And then in uh, June, just before everybody went on holiday, we launched phase two. And, uh, you know, during the summer holidays, we've kind of been marking time, and that has a relevance to this title, The Land Between. I'm going to unpack that in a, in a moment or two. But I said to the leaders, it's a, a bit like we're, we're in the place where, the, the, the awkward place. You know, when you start on a great journey, a great adventure, a great vision, there's a lot of excitement and hoo-ha and hullabaloo and all the rest of it. It's a bit like going on holiday. You know, there's all the excitement of running around and packing the car up and, you know, where's the dog and, you know, and, you know get, have you got all your, your stuff in the back, juice for the kids and nappies and all the rest of it and all the tents on the roof and then you set off and you've been gone about 45 minutes and the kids start saying, are we nearly there yet? You know the kind of thing? 
and there's still another eight hours to go, and your wife and your, or your partner, you look at one and they go, oh, my giddy aunt, you know. And the, the, the journey can be a bit of a trial, particularly if you hit traffic or issues or somebody feels car sick, you know the deal. But finally, that great moment arrives when you arrive and you turn into, you swing into the campsite or the hotel or where, the, wherever it is you're saying, and suddenly everybody gets excited again. The start of a vision, like expanding this building, more than doubling it so that we, we can accommodate our growing family, is full of excitement and joy. But then you get into it, and it's, it's hard work. I'll be absolutely honest with you. It's just grunt work. But there comes that point later, you know, still to come for us, where the mayor will show up, and who knows, John and Debbie Wright might come and show up as well, and we open the place, and there's much fanfare, and everybody pats everybody back and says, what a great job we've done. But in the meantime, we're, we're stuck with it. We're in the land between. And actually, this, this imagery of the land between is quite rich and culture current. When we think of all the migrants who are struggling to find safety, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I think we should. I heard the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, Justin Welby, just a couple of weeks ago, saying that there are now 60, it is estimated that worldwide, not just in the, you know, the sort of European crisis that we're currently hearing so much about, there are 60 million refugees, 60 million people in transit fleeing from economic oppression, religious oppression, uh, you know, war and turmoil, gathering up their families, gathering up of, you know, the, the, the most precious of their goods and that which they think they might need to, to go to another place. And, these, and, and every evening we see on the, you know, on the news or in the papers or whatever, you know, we see the struggles. And I heard somebody say this week, and it was quite refreshing. It was a government minister, and he said, you know what, people don't up and move like that on a whim. They don't just say, got a bit of a surprise for you. You know, we're going to go to Germany, but we're in Syria. Yeah, I know, but wasn't it exciting, kids? You know, get your bucket and spade. It doesn't work like that. You know, but people uproot and, and move, and, and it's, a, it's a difficult time, a difficult decision. They are in the land between. They're looking forward to a new life in Britain or Germany or Sweden or wherever it is, but at the moment, they're stuck at the border in Hungary or Serbia or wherever it is, and they're being tear-gassed and they're being hosed and all the rest of it. It's, it's the land between. But, you know, the land between is actually something that we identify. We know about the land between, don't we, folks? The land between is, is when you're making all sorts of plans and the kids are settled and the wife's settled and you're enjoying your life and, you know, you're in the middle of some great project and suddenly you get a message from your boss. I wonder if you could come pop in and see me. Uh, and so you say to them, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll do that. When would you like? Well, now's good. And you think, what? And so you go through and the guy starts talking and he starts talking about you know, cutbacks and challenges and what a great job you've done and how much we appreciate you and these are hard decisions and he doesn't like doing this. And you're listening to this and it's, suddenly you kind of zone out and you're seeing him mouth moving and you're thinking, what's happening here? And then you say, I, I, I'm sorry, are you, are you laying me off? And then the guy gets really awkward and he said, uh, yeah, uh, I'm really sorry about it. And suddenly, you know, this morning when you came into work, it was full of possibility and opportunity, and you were actually quite excited about the latest project that you were on. But now you're, you've, you've got gardening leave. What does that mean? Or the land between is, is, is like, uh, you know, you've been going out with steady with somebody for quite a while, you know, 18 months or so, and you're beginning to think this is, maybe this relationship really has got some legs on it. And, 
and then your, your loved one rings you up and says, I, I want to go out for a meal tonight, something a little bit special. So, so you think, oh my gosh, she's going to ask me to marry him. Oh my gosh. And so you go out and you sit in the restaurant and you're looking across and, you know, have a slight, he's slightly nervous and he's a bit wriggly and you're thinking, oh, my, God, my heart's racing and all the rest of it. And then when, the, when, the, when it comes to sort of the dessert, he suddenly says, how would you feel, your heart's pounding, if we started seeing other people? <laughs> and you have to pinch yourself. I, I, I'm sorry, what did you say? How, how would you see if we started feeding other people? And that really means he's already seeing other people. People laughing nervously. <laughs> it's rather frightening. Isn't it? And you've invested so much in this relationship, and this was the one, and this was going to, and you were all geared up, and you were ready to say yes. Or there's the pastor who rang me, this is true, rang me this week. And I hadn't spoken to him for a while, and I said, How are you doing? He says, I'm not in a good way. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry you tell me about it. And he said, well, uh, we had a very difficult meeting at church at the beginning of the year. And when I got home, my wife said, and this isn't the place, he said, my wife said, I'm so done with this church, I'm so done with Swindon, and I'm so done with you. He said, I beg your pardon? And he thought, well, she's very overall, this is very difficult meeting, difficult time, we're all under stress, and so didn't really say much about it. Went to work the following morning, came back, and she's taken the kids, this is true, three kids, and moved down and, and to Hastings. Absolutely true. Wants a divorce. Two weeks later, the letters arrive. Well, the land between is a bit like Johann and Christa, celebrating for the joy of this pregnancy. And then in April, you get told that there are, in fact, you know something's not quite right. And then you get told that there are issues and problems, and suddenly you're in limbo, the land between. These are, this land between is a difficult place. We all know it, none of us, none of us likes it. And I want to talk a little bit about this place. I want to tie it into the scriptures. I want to tie it into our phase two situation. And this week and next, there isn't really much time to, to unpack it today. But next week, I'm going to be giving you three very positive things that come out of the land between, and one warning. It's worth hearing if you can't be here. Yeah. So the land between, in scriptural terms, one might say, well, it's, it's actually absolutely the sort of scenario we've been talking through. Many of you will know that God's people, the children of Israel, were once a slave nation in Egypt. And then God raised up a man called Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I mean, it's, you know... It's uh, been made films of and, you know, shows and the West End and all that kind of stuff. Let my people go. And, and finally, the great day comes when Pharaoh relents and he says, right, go, go, be gone, get, get out of here. And there's great joy and celebration. And this, this people that have been a slave nation, slaves for 400 years, generation upon generation, are suddenly given gifts, gold and silver and fine clothes, and told to go, go on, go, be, get beyond, you know, get out of here. And there's great joy, we're all leaving Egypt, you know, just grab what we need and let's go. We're, and, and it's not just leaving Egypt, we're going to Canaan, we're gonna be entering Canaan, and Canaan was this kind of almost mythical 
land that they were heading towards. Entering Canaan was, was the dream come true. Canaan was a land that God had given their patriarch, uh, Abraham, hundreds of years prior to that and said, I am going to give you this land and this land is going to be your land and I'm going to watch your borders and you're going to prosper here. And this is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be your dream come true. So they're leaving Egypt and they're entering Canaan. The trouble is, in between the two places is the land between. The land between. Now some of you will know that, that actually... Egypt and Israel aren't too far away. It's, uh, I looked it up, about 250 miles, actually, from Cairo to Jerusalem. And if from border to border, I, I, what would that be? Maybe, maybe 200, not much more. It's actually, even if, you've, if, you, if you're walking, even if you've got flocks to take with you, even if you've got little ones like Daniel, it, it, walking and sort of turning it into a bit of a party and a bit of a, you know, a, a camp out, it's probably about 40 days. Going slowly, you know. They spent 40 years in the land between. 40 years. Some extraordinary things happened for them while they were in the land between. I'll say more about this next week, but one little example. In the land between, God was present with them in a remarkable way. A way that everybody could see. During the daytime, there was this, I don't know, cloud, this... This dust thing, this kind of tornado-y thing, I, I, I still wonder what that looked like. But there was a cloud, it said. And when the cloud stood still, they stood still. They camped out. And it might stay there for days, this cloud. This is during the daytime. But when the cloud moved, they had been told to follow the cloud. And so they'd all up sticks and off they'd go. At night, it was a pillar of fire. Sometimes the pillar of fire was just there. Other times it started to move, and they knew that that's when they had to go. God's presence in the land between was visible, was visible. But as you may not be surprised, because we've all been in the land between, sometimes it gets a bit tedious. A little bit, you know, our folks shared this morning. You know, Steph was sharing how difficult it was when Daniel, this lovely little boy, was going through such a time and she came before the Lord and wept. We've all been in that place. When we're in the land between and it's just like, God, I don't know what's happening. What is happening? What is... And you find yourself before God and you kind of pour your heart out. And sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself, as my wife will tell you, my pouring my heart out to God becomes a bit of a grumble. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. There's a few smiles in the Really? Really, God? Was today really necessary? You know the kind of thing? Put your hand up if you know the kind of thing. Oh, I just want to say, oh, I'm communicating, that's good. Was today really necessary? Let's read a little bit of scripture here. Uh, there's a number of places I could have picked on, and, and maybe this isn't the most obvious one, but, but this, Numbers 14, story that we're going to look at very briefly is, is where actually it looks quite good because they've, they're on the, the edge, on the borders of, you know, entering Canaan. And so Moses, is a, the wise leader he is, says, let's send a few guys, you know, across the border just to check it out. You know, we don't want to sort of, 
You know, we want to know what we're entering into. And so they go over there. And uh, do you know what? On the plus side, it's amazing. Talk about a land flowing with milk and honey. There's crops, there's fruit. You know, it's really rich, fertile soil. It's everything that an agricultural society would would long for. It is everything and more that God had promised. The only thing is, there are other people living there. And they're pretty intimidating. So anyway, the spies come back, and we'll call them spies, and they, you know, 10 of them say, oh my gosh, You'll just hear the size of those guys. They'll knock the living daylights out of us. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, yeah, what? You know, it's, it's fine. It really is. It, it, God, has, God has said. God has said it's ours. And he'll drive out nations before us. And this is the response of the people. Um, follow in your Bible, your smart device, or it'll be on the screen. And Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 says this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? Now, if we were to have a show of hands, I'm not going to do that. Some of you say, yeah, quite right. Yeah, get back to Egypt, quick. Don't hang out in the desert anymore, the land between. The kind of personality I am, I want to go for it. And also, I know how it ends. That's always a helps, you know. You see, when you're in the land between, there's a number of things that can be said about the land between. The desert, if you like. I think I've told you this story before, but it bears telling again. Phyllis and myself had the great privilege of going out to Desert Vineyard in Northern California for a little bit of mentoring. This was several years ago before we bought this place, what have you. And we stayed in this lovely uh, kind of log cabin on a hillside. And we'd been there, curiously enough, once or twice before. We, we had been there on a preaching tour and all the rest of it, but this time we were there on a, as guests. And I'd know, I knew what it was like. It was what they call high desert. It's, it's dusty, it's hot. Uh, there's kind of little, uh, there's little lizardy skink things and there's rattlesnakes and stuff and brush. It's kind of like cowboy country. But something rather extraordinary had happened. And this only happens once every several or eight years. About three weeks before we arrived there, it had rained in the desert. And we arrived amidst this explosion of psychedelic color. It, looks like, it looked like the pastor had taken an acid trip. I mean, honestly, this high desert, it was covered in orange and purple, wasn't it, Flissy? It was extraordinary. It was almost garish. This rain had come in, and suddenly the desert wasn't dead. It was alive. It's surprising how fertile desert land can be. And the land between, going back to my sort of imagery, is a fertile place. It is. It's a fertile place, as it was for the Israelites. It's fertile ground for complaint. The land between is a place where you start to grumble. You start asking questions like, did God say? What's God playing at? Where is God now? What does he think he's doing? 
Actually, it's a shocking thing to say, the desert is sometimes a place where faith, such as it is, dies, because it's not real faith. It's just kind of going along with the crowd, and suddenly challenge hits you hard, and your faith proves to be inconsequential. It's a place where faith can die. But it's also, paradoxically, a fertile ground for faith. How can that be? Well, it's a place where you have to exercise faith. It's a place where you have to say, I can't understand it, but I am going to choose to trust God. Just like these parents we've heard, they, 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 they turned to God, they sought God, they chose God. So it can be a fertile ground for complaint and the death of things, or it can be a fertile ground for faith and life, and you get to choose. It's your choice. No one's going to force you one way or another. Can't be done. You just choose. You choose. Yes, the land between is a place of challenge and change. It really is. This year, I was, you know, met lots of old friends yesterday, and they were asking how we were doing. And I think, you know, Fliss and I would both say that this year, personally, as a couple and as a family, we've had far more challenge than comfort. It's been a very tough year. It's been tough because we decided to move house, and that proved to be extremely demanding with lots of difficulties and lots of shenanigans, and you've all got stories like that these days. And then, of course, at the same time, brilliant leadership, Chris, we decided to you know, do this thing, and you know, we had all the carry-on about trying to buy that place over the road and then buying this place over the road uh, next door. And then we had trouble with the owners. And when we started awk- asking awkward questions about the oil tank, remember the oil tank I told you about? You know, we started asking them awkward questions. Suddenly, the owners threw a hissy fit and said, we're not selling it to you anymore. You're just mucking us about, you b- bunch of crazy Christians. And we were quite rude and abusive. About five days later, they came back and said, oh, all right, we'll sell it to you then. What do you want us to do about this tank? You know, but it was, if you know, sometimes business is is you know, hear it from me. Work is God's idea. He loves business. Before the fall, we were called to work. It's true. But sometimes business sucks. It really does. And so this year has been high on challenge. There have been times when I've whinged at Fliss, and she's had to put up with my whinging because just too much challenge going on. Yep, the land between is a place of challenge and change. But you know what? The land between is also a place of transformational growth. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who used to be a very accomplished athlete yesterday. Ran for county, ran for the south, and all the rest of it. Any athlete will tell you that you know, there's that moment of inspiration. Maybe you're at home with mum and dad, and you're watching TV, and somebody achieves some extraordinary uh, um, victory. And you see how that person breaks the 10-second, you know, 100-meter barrier. Now, 
That happens commonly today, but there was an occasion when it was thought it was impossible to run fast, you know, 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. Maybe you see that great event or the four-minute mile. People still talk about the four-minute mile. An athlete will tell you there's the moment of inspiration, that moment when it dawns on you that if you work hard, you can do that. But making the decision is just the beginning. Beyond that, there's the early mornings training. There's the hours of, of, of just running around tracks in the mist with nobody else there except perhaps a coach if he's bothered to get up to shout at you. And there's the, the diet. And there's, you know, the truth of the matter, that's how you build stamina. That's how you build strength. That's how you build victory into your personality, psyche, and body. And it's the same thing with faith. Loving God and loving Jesus and singing some hymns is not going to do it. It just ain't going to do it, folks. You ask any of those rugby players playing the World Cup, you know, what they've had to do to get their bodies into that kind of shape. You may say, I don't want my body in that kind of shape, Chris. I certainly don't want my ears sticking out like that, you know, but hey, you know, you know what I mean, you know, don't, don't, don't split hairs. We, all of us, have to deal with the land between, so deal with it. Yes, it's a dangerous place, the threat is real, whether it's relationships, it's business, it's moving house, it's whatever. It's grief, it's life. But in that place, you get to choose whether it'll be the death of you or the making of the death of you or the making of you. It's a place where slaves, 400 years, Hebrew slaves, are turned into sons and daughters. It's a furnace. Faith is sometimes a furnace. Exercising faith, growing in faith. Becoming a son is a gift, but we have to step into that place and live it. I've often told the story, which still amazes me, of Joe Cocker, a very f famous uh, pop singer, rock singer, uh, somebody I actually admire. He was a plumber in Sheffield before he became famous. When he became famous, he became very famous. He had all sorts of problems with drink and drugs, and many years later, he was declared, years later, he was declared bankrupt. I think he was declared bankrupt twice, but he always owned this little terrace house in Sheffield. Couldn't get rid of it because it sort of reminded him of his roots. And it was more or less derelict. One day they decided to clear it out. They cleared it out. And do you know what? He found three checks. There was piles of mail everywhere, which he didn't open because of his condition. And there was a check in there for £23,000 worth of royalties. She hadn't even bothered to open because he was in such a state. You see, he had the money. He had the inheritance. He had the standing. He had the position. But he was too lost in himself too lost in the pain of the moment. He didn't make the most of it. Christians, brothers and sisters, friends, God has a call upon your life to be his sons and daughters. But that call will be tested because he wants to turn you from slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to, to lostness, slaves, slaves into, into sons. So right back to the beginning. Phase two, where we are now. We're in the land between. 
you know, I, I have to thank God. I have to honor God. You know, we launched this phase two thing, and really while we were marking time in the desert because everybody was on holiday, including Fizz and myself, and we weren't really pushing it, over 120,000 pounds have come in when we weren't really trying. Folks, it's time to start trying again. Why? Because the cloud is beginning to move off. The pillar of fire is beginning to move. The Lord says, okay, listen up. We're moving on. We're going to be entering Canaan. Come on, gather your stuff. Gird up your loins. It's time to move. Come on, kids. Pick up Teddy and all the rest of it. We're going. We've been camped out, but even that has been good. But now we've got to move on to take Canaan, the promised land. We've got to take that which God has called us to. And that's my last point. The land between is a place of God's promises. Three pictures, three images, promises about your precious children. A tree, a mountain, and a and the sun. It's in the land between that God gives us these life-changing encouragements to, to cause us to go the extra mile. And you may have got tired, mission-weary, money-weary about hearing about growing family in phase two. But even in this moment, as we head off into this new year, this new church year, September to September, we say, God is saying, Who's with me? Who's going to make the sacrifice? Who's going to go out without that expensive holiday and have a, a cheaper holiday? Who's going to put you know, that, that meal at McDonald's every week, put the money towards that into a pot so that we can raise the 400,000 pounds or so that we still need? There's an invitation there. There's an invitation. And there's a promise. And I'm just delighted to share some, something with you as I finish here that the team has been working on, particularly Tommy Forks and, and, and our wonderful communications officer, Emma Bluston, have put together this little 3D imagery thing just to fire you up again. Because this is the promise. This is what God is wanting to birth here. This is what God is wanting to create here. This is our response to his encouragement, Isaiah 54, to enlarge the place of our tent. It's our response to his assurance that he is able to do far more than we even hope or imagine. So just sit back for two minutes and enjoy this. Thank you. Folks, I'm sorry that your members are offended at this time. <laughs> I say that because we've still got some ways to go. We've got to dig deep. We've got to find some money. We've got to build this thing because our God is moving on. And he has a heart for the refugees, the migrants. We've already started to see them coming. He's a heart for the poor. He's a heart for our children. He's a heart for our youth. And his heart for his kingdom being modeled in this city, in this region. I'm sorry you turned up at this point, because it's basically down to us. And a great, great God who will provide beyond our wildest dreams and imaginings. Let's all stand. Let's have the worship team come up. And we'll, we've run on a little bit today. I'm sorry about that. But we'll finish with the song. But let me just pray.
Please do take a phase two summer update. There's a new display out there in the atrium and there's new information. And, and uh, next week I'll continue this talk and tie it in with phase two a bit more. And I'm not really sorry that you're here. I'm actually delighted that you're here. This is an exciting time to be a Christian at Vineyard. Father God, we want to say thank you. Thank you for our kids. Uh, thank you for the, the opportunity and, yes, the vision and the, the faithfulness, Lord God. It, it, it's no mean thing that we've got to this point in time. In fact, more, there's more behind us now than there is in front of us. We're close. We're on the borders. We're on Jordan's shore waiting to cross. We've just got to push once more. And so bless us, Lord God, because this land between theme is something that actually affects us not just as a church, but we can see it in so many different areas and so many different positions. Wherever we are in that land between, waiting, waiting and wondering, may we pray and exercise transforming faith. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.